Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Good to see you guys in the room, see you guys that are online. So good to be here today. I don't know if you could sense the presence of God at home, but we could sense it in this house, can't we? And God moving in wonderful ways, and we're so excited that you're here. As we kind of wrap up a series we've been calling Felt Board Faith. We actually, it's one of those kind of... Uh, uh, when we do our planning for sermons, all of the location lead pastors work together, kind of seek the Lord together and come up with plans together. And then we will insert every now and then through the year what we just call a one-off. It's not part of a series. It's just a, it's a day when each of the location lead pastors can say, okay, here's a topic I believe the Lord wants me to speak into our specific uh, location of the bridge. And so today was a one-off. And as I thought about it and prayed about it, uh, forgive me, but I decided what I needed <laughs> might be something that would be a blessing to you. And so I made it part of the Felt Board series because it's actually a story from the Old Testament that I think uh, that really will resonate for some of us, both here in the room and online. It certainly has been important for me. I, again, forgive me for making it about me, but uh, I, I don't believe I have the right to challenge you with a word from the Lord unless I've challenged myself with a word from the Lord first. I don't believe I can make it public till I've made it private. And this has been one of those that uh, I, the Lord has really spoken into my heart about some, uh, some giants that I was going after, and I believe that uh, he'll speak to you as well. That said, let's get into it. So how many of you can name the world's deadliest disease? I've lived long enough that I've seen several of them come and go. We've watched a lot of them. I remember the day when, when, when the C word was an immediate death sentence, and we just knew you got cancer, you're going to die. And we've come a long, long, long way uh, with that one. Uh, you know, AIDS was the thing, and they were saying one out of three people on the planet are going to die of AIDS. And I remember one Sunday morning saying, look to your left, look to your right, one of you's a goner. I mean, that's just kind of, that was what they were saying. And, and now it's, of course, COVID, and who knows what's going to happen with COVID in the long run, but I'm here to tell you that the deadliest disease on the planet ain't none of those. It is highly contagious. It is a worldwide pandemic. The good news is it's curable. You figured out what I'm talking about yet? I'm talking about discouragement. The fact is all of us have been discouraged at one time or another. Can I get an amen in the house and in your house? All of us get discouraged. Sometimes all of us have an off day, okay, an off week, an off month, off year, whatever. This just, we, we all have to fight that feeding, feeling sometimes where it's like, is it worth it? Is, is it too hard? I don't know if I can do this or not. And I think it's one of the reasons that God gave us the book of Nehemiah uh, because in that little book, we get powerful history from the children of Israel, but we also get some real powerful principles that include the causes of discouragement and the cures for discouragement. And so I hope it's worth a few minutes of your time. I'll try not to keep you too long, but let's get into it and let's see if we can get a handle on what causes discouragement uh, and more importantly, what are the cures when you find yourself in a discouraged kind of state? So let me give you a background. M many of you know the story. If you don't, you can catch up right quick. If you do, there'll just be a refresher for you. But Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king when he got word that back home in Jerusalem, the walls of the city, the defensive walls of the city had been torn down. They'd been destroyed. Babylon, of course, had swept in many years before, conquered Jerusalem, taken the best and the brightest back to Babylon. Daniel was one of those. And so he's a Jew. 
And he's getting word from home that his hometown is in utter disarray. Not just the walls destroyed, but the people are scattered. And he's broken by it. He's so broken by it that he goes into a three months of fasting and prayer and finally finds himself in a position where he can't hide in his sadness anymore. And the king who says, who made a decree, you don't show sadness to the king or I'll have you killed. The king finally says, what's the deal here, Nehemiah? What's the deal? Uh, why are you sad in my presence? You know the potential risk involved in that. He said, how can I not be sad when my hometown is in a mess? I can just throw this in. How can we not be a little bit sad when, when our hometown's in a mess, when our nation's in a mess, when, when stuff's going on all around us? We, we, we don't live in a cocoon. We, 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 of course, it's going to affect all of us. And so here's Nehemiah with this burden to do something about it and no means for it. God creates the means for it. The king makes him governor of that region, sends him back with both protection and resources. Nehemiah goes back. He surveys the damage. He kind of organized things. He gets people organized, and they begin the, the huge, one of the most amazing engineering feats of its day. You, don't, you hear about the pyramids. You hear about all the stuff. You don't hear about this. But this massive engineering feat of rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem, he gets started. And the people that, that he rallies to do it start off excited. There's enthusiasm. There's zeal. They get about halfway through the journey, and they, they get discouraged. They lose heart. They're about to give up. And Nehemiah, being the great leader that he was, stepped in and, and, and came up with a plan that would help them to work through their discouragement and ultimately complete the task. And so in that story, in that context, we find both doorways to discouragement as well as cures of discouragement. So that's what I want to just pull out today. So I want to walk through the doorways quickly. Uh, but I don't want you to just put yourself in their shoes. I want you to put yourself in your own shoes. I want you to think about these doorways through the lens of, am I dealing with that right now? Am I finding myself in that doorway? Have I stepped through that door and allowed it to affect my level of courage? Am I discouraged? Um, and then we'll spend a good bit of our time on the cures. So let's walk through the doorways first, okay? Okay. The first uh, doorway that we find among them is simply fatigue. They're just tired. Nehemiah chapter 4 tells the heart of our story. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn there, feel free to do that, follow along. Uh, or you can go to the Bridge NC app, Bridge Church NC app, and download that. All of the notes are there. Take advantage of that. Send me an email at info at bridgechurch.cc, and I'll send you the very teaching notes that I'm using now if that's meaningful to you. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10 the first part of the verse simply says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. Can I tell you the number one reason most people get discouraged is that we push and push and push ourselves and we just end up drained. It's really hard to be physically down and stay spiritually and emotionally up. It's just almost impossible to, to do that. I, this is a no elbow throwing zone, by the way. I saw some elbows when I said that a minute ago. Hear me, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Not right now, not, no, not now, but, you know, Vince Lombardi said fatigue makes cowards of us all. In fact, that's why Frederick W. Taylor is my hero. Anybody know Frederick W. Taylor? He's one of my favorite guys on the planet. Invented the coffee break in 1898. He's my man. 
That's where our wall builders find themselves in our story, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their hearts. So they first started out, they're enthusiastic, their heart's in it, they're focused, they're excited about the adventure. They got halfway through, and the newness is gone, and the fatigue is set in, and the discouragement is rising. You ever done that? You ever painted a room and got halfway through the job and thought, man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be, and it's taking longer than I, and I, than I thought it was going to take, and I even have cleanup to do after it's over, and I've made a mess. Uh, I wish I'd never started this thing. You ever, you ever started a life and got halfway and thought, man, I wish I'd be at a different place right now than I am? I thought I'd be further along right now than I am. Hear me, guys, when we push and push and push, it's inevitable that we will find ourselves discouraged along the way. The second doorway, we're going to spend a lot of time on these. I just want to identify them. The second one that they encountered, and I think we do too, is, is just simply frustration. It's inevitable when fatigue sets in that frustration will follow shortly after. Go back to verse 10 again, the second part of verse 10. And there was so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So track with me, they didn't just have to build a new wall. They had the old wall that had been destroyed that was all broken down and you know, big blocks piled on top of each other that had to be moved out. So they had to clear out the rubble uh, before they could actually start building and the rubble kept getting in the way of any progress. And after a while, they just got really frustrated with that process. Come on, we can't get anything done for all this junk that's in the, the way. Hear me, anytime you do something, there's gonna be some rubble. Rubble's gonna accumulate. Kim, Kim and I have... Uh, well, we have remodeled every house we ever lived in. Even if we were renting, we'd get permission from the landlord to remodel stuff in the house. And usually they'd let us use rent money if I'd do the labor and, you know, and we'd work on it. And, and so it's just kind of been the, the house that we just built here in Goldsboro is kind of our plan to be there till Jesus comes. First house we ever built from scratch. We, this is our dream home. But we've remodeled every one of them. And, and in every case, you know, the, what's that old saying? If you want to test your marriage, remodel a house together. <laughs> That's what they say. Well, we survived every one of them, but there were times during that period when Kim, she worked at the private Christian school where the kids went. She'd come home from school and, and she'd see the mess that I made all day, tearing out sheetrock or whatever else. And, and, I, and I would be, you know, kind of tired from the work of the day. I had my day off and I, I'm working in there and all she can see is there's sheetrock dust all over the house. And she would get upset because of all the mess I made. And I'd get frustrated because she couldn't see the progress that I made. And it was difficult. It was challenging, not because the work was hard, but because of all the rubble that was associated with it. So, and every once in a while we'd say, okay, I think it would look good if we did this or that. And we'd always stop and go, yeah, but is it worth it? Not because of the cost of materials or the labor to do it, but because of the rubble. So let me ask you, and maybe your rubble's not literal like that. Maybe, maybe your, your rubble is a, is a work situation where the work is piling up and the deadlines are pressing on you and just about the time you think you can't, take an, you can't get, get one foot in, in front of the other, the boss, went and boss walks in and puts another project on your plate. And you're going, ah, I can't even get this done and you want me to do what? Maybe your rubble's in a relationship. Maybe you've had the same argument a dozen times now, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And after a while, it's just, this isn't worth it. I'm out of here. Maybe your rubble is emotional. 
I used to do a lot of counseling, and I remember vividly in those days, I could always tell, particularly in marital counseling, I could always tell when I was getting close to the real issues that was going on because inevitably one or both of them would start looking at their watch. they start looking for the door. Kim, you know what I'm talking about. They, and I know that they've recognized that we're about to get to the heart of the matter, and it's really, really hard to deal with the heart of the matter. Everything in them wants to say, how, how quickly can I get out that door? Even though they know they're healing us on the other side of removing the rubble. Maybe it's in your spiritual life. Maybe you've committed your life to Christ and... You've been growing in your faith, and you've been learning more about him. And yes, you've been challenged in some of the value systems that you had before or the lifestyle that you lived before. And and after a while, it's kind of like, man, there's so much junk in my life. I just don't know if I can deal with all this stuff. And everything in you says, man, it just ain't worth it. And you're tempted to throw up your hands and quit. Sometimes discouragement comes simply because we've been going so hard, we're tired, but understand that when that happens, eventually frustration is going to rise too. Before you know it, then you're, you're at the next doorway, which is found in the third part of verse 10, Nehemiah 4. We cannot build the wall. We should never have started this thing. We're fooling ourselves. Who do we think we are to be able to rebuild the walls around a city? This humongous task, it's too big for us. In other words, they allowed their fatigue and their frustration to become a sense of failure, and that's the doorway to discouragement. So let me ask you guys, um, how do you react when you feel like you failed? Um, How do you respond when things don't work out the way you thought they were going to or the way you hoped they would. Maybe, maybe, maybe you got a project you thought would take four hours and you, you're coming to the end of the day and you're still not done. How do you react when those kind of things happen? Your to-do list has more on it than you can get to done. And you think, man, I should be able to do all of this. Or just when you thought you were going to make ends meet, somebody moved the ends. and it's, ah. How do you react? Do you act with self-pity? Do you have a pity party? Every party needs a pooper. That's why they invited me. Party pooper. Is that who you are? Do you blame yourself? I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Do you blame others? If you had done what you were supposed to do, I wouldn't be in this place. Do you whine? Do you complain? How do you react when a sense of failure overwhelms you and it overwhelms all of us from time to time? Hear me, guys. Finishers see failure as a temporary setback. Perhaps even more importantly, they see it as an opportunity to prune. You you understand, those of you that know anything about gardening at all, you know that pruning uh, is an important part of having a healthy plant. Even in shrubbery, you don't cut away just dead stuff. You cut away live branches, healthy branches that are growing in the wrong direction. They're just not part of the shape that you're looking for. Pruning is an important part of the journey. And so when we come to those pruning moments where, ah, man, I've utterly failed. Well, maybe it's an opportunity to stop. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's time for me to revisit my to-do list. Fatigue, frustration, 
sense of failure ultimately leads to the fourth doorway where they found themselves, and that's just simply fear. We get scared. What's going to happen now? Didn't work, not going to work, can't do that, I'm out of here. And fear begins to overwhelm every decision that you make. The children of Israel, of course, for them, the wall represented defense. It represented safety, and that's, um, which is why uh, there's some who didn't want the wall built because they didn't want the children of Israel to be safe back inside their walls again. They wanted to be able to undermine. They wanted to be able to destroy. And so these enemies of the children of Israel uh, were willing to do most anything they had to to stop them. In fact, they used two attacks on the children of Israel that I've seen today. Satan still uses them. The first one is ridicule. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, what are these weak Jews doing? They think they can rebuild the wall. A fox could climb up on it, what they're building. Uh, even it would break it down. They're making fun of them. Look, you think you're building a wall. It's going to collapse. A little old fox could walk on it, and it would collapse. Ridicule is a common tool that Satan uses to bring fear into our lives so that we will become discouraged. Maybe it's your unbelieving friends who are saying, okay, so you're a holy roller now, huh? You claim to be a Christian, but look at what's going on in your life. Man, you ain't no fun anymore. Wow, this bad stuff going on. Where's your God now? There's all kinds of weapons that Satan uses to ridicule. Sometimes it's even fellow Christians who can cause you to be afraid. When Kim and I launched the new church in Virginia several years ago, the methodology that we used to let the community know that a new church had come to town is we got on the phones. This is in the days before telemarketing was as, as yucky as it is nowadays. People get overwhelmed with it. And so we got on the phone and we're just doing surveys of the community. Hey, we're a new church is getting started. Are you currently active in a church? And they said, yes. We said, God bless you. You're not who we're looking for. And we'd hang up. And if we said, no, we're not active in a church, we said, would you like some information about a new church that's getting started? Well, I got one guy. And I had that little thing, a little survey. Are you active in a church? Yes. Oh, well, then you're not who we're looking for. Well, well then why'd you call me? Well, we're trying to identify some folks that don't have a church home in the area because we're going to start a new church. And here's the response. He said, I'm a trustee at such and such church in this community, and we don't need no more churches around here. And, of course, I was new to the area. We didn't know a lot about the area, so I just pulled a number out of the air that I knew would be safe. I said, sir, I bet there's 20,000 people right around us that never darkened the door of a church. Later found out there was probably 200,000 around us that never darkened the door of the church. Do you know, by the way, that there are 70,000 people in Wayne County, North Carolina, that never darkened the door of a Christian church? You know what his response was? But we ain't got them, and you ain't going to get them either. And I said, well, I'm going to try. <laughs> Kim, put on my tombstone. At least he tried. <laughs> and I hung up. But you think that didn't take the wind out of my sails when I had to pick up the phone and make the next call? It took me 10 minutes to get my equilibrium. I had to go talk to somebody and say, man, you're going to have to talk me down because I'm just scared to death to pick up the phone. I don't know what I'm going to get next. Later that same night, I got a young Navy guy who said, what, you're, you're what, you're who, what, what? Did you say you're a, this is a church? I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor. We're starting a new church. So you're kidding me. You're a pastor? Yeah, no. 
He said, I just got down beside my bed with a 38 and said, God, if you don't want me to do this, you're going to have to send me somebody. And my phone rang. Clay Branch became the first member of the church. But Satan will do what he can to discourage you, particularly if he has a sense that you're about to do something for the kingdom of God that's bigger than you are. So don't let it happen when fear rises. Don't let it happen. The second weapon they used were threats. They didn't just ridicule them. They threatened them. Verse 11, our enemy said before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and kill them and put an end to their work. For them, the kind of threats they faced were were real threats on their lives. We can talk all we want as Americans about, about you know, threats to our faith. You know, it's psychological, it's, it's emotional, there's, but there's a rising tide in America that's more than that. And so we all lament of shootings in churches across the land. We have, we have our emergency response team, our ERT, that that's active, very, very active every Sunday morning, just making sure this is a safe place for you guys to come and to be. And, and we've helped other churches to develop their own uh, ERT, emergency response team, uh, because those threats are very real. But even that, that in America, they're minuscule compared to the rest of the world. I don't know if you know this, but they're on record over 800,000 Christians who were martyred for their faith between 2010 and 2020. 1.6 million between 2000 and 2010. These are people who stood up for Christ and gave their physical, temporal lives for it. I pray that never happens here, but the question is what's going to happen if it does to you and to me? It's important to notice now uh, who was most affected by these threats that these guys brought. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 12, then the Jews who lived near our enemies came. They told us 10 times, everywhere you turn, the enemy will attack us. Who's the one bringing the message to Nehemiah and the leaders that the enemies are going to bring them down? It's the ones who were living closest to the enemy. Do I need to unpack that? It's the one who are allowing themselves to be influenced by the enemy's camp who were bringing the fears into God's camp. Hear me, guys. You spend time among people that are negative about your faith, critical of your faith. Guess what? It's contagious. And it will eventually discourage you. I'm not, I'm not telling you don't ever spend any time. I'm saying make sure that you guard your heart so that you're not influenced by their threats or their ridicule, you're going as a bridge to bring Jesus. If you choose to hang out with those folks all the time, you've got to be prepared for Satan to use it to discourage you. I mean, I know, I'm, I'm an idiot optimist. I mean, <laughs> anybody who knows me, I'm just one of those guys that goes, okay, well, it'll work out. I'm just, I've had this kind of quiet faith in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, my whole Christian life. It's just all things work together for pattern to good that love the Lord and call according to his purpose that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. Okay, whatever, it, it is what it is, let's go. That's just kind of how I, I've made up my life. Kim's watching, she can tell you whether it's true or not. Uh, but, but even so, if I spend time around 
complainers, it rubs off and I find myself focusing on problems instead of solutions. I find myself focusing on obstacles rather than highways and I can get down with the best of them. And you can too. You're not immune to it. I don't care how close to God you are. You're not immune to it. So what fears are causing you to be discouraged right now? Is it the fear of being embarrassed? Is it the fear of failure? Is it the fear that you won't be perfect enough? Is it fear that you can't handle the pressures of life? Well, what is it? Well, how do you know, Pastor, that fear is the deal you're dealing with? Anytime you have an intense desire to run away, <laughs> that's fear. I got to get out of here. I got to quit. I can't do this. I got to end this relationship. I can't finish this project. Anytime those things come up, it's fear. We're going to deal with fear this fall later in, this, in the year. We're going to unpack it in a lot more detail. But for now, just understand that whether it is fatigue or frustration or failure or fear, the only way to break that cycle is to stop focusing on the problems and start focusing on the solutions. You can't resist a feeling. You have to replace a feeling. Do I need to say that again? You can't resist a feeling. You have to replace a feeling. Do not think about pink elephants. Don't. Do not think about pink elephants. Do not get a pink elephant in your mind. Do not picture a big pink elephant and a little pink elephant with his trunk in curled around the tail of the mama. Do not picture a circus with two pink elephants, a big one and a small one. Do not picture that. How many are thinking about pink elephants right now? You cannot think about pink elephants. What do you got to do? You got to replace that. You got to find something else to think about, something else to focus on. And that's what they did ultimately to overcome their discouragement. And Nehemiah, one of the most amazing leaders that ever lived, it's how he led them. So let's shift gears very quickly, let me show you what to do. If you find yourself discouraged, here's how you do it, okay? Number one, you find a better way. In other words, you reorganize. The first mistake we make when we get discouraged, I've made it and you've made it, when we get discouraged, the first mistake we make is we start thinking we're doing the wrong thing. When in fact, we may be doing the right thing, we're just doing it in the wrong way. And it's not that we need to change what we're doing. We just need to change the way we're doing it. That's what Nehemiah understood. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. So you break that down, you see what he did? He actually did two things. First of all, he redistributed the workload. You see that? Some of you do this while some of you do this. Okay, you're going to set up the defenses and you're going to keep working and we'll trade off. We'll make sure. Again, some of you are discouraged because you think you're Superman. Something's driving you from morning to night. There's no thought of rest until you collapse in a chair at night. And then rest is fitful. It's restless. And if that's you, here's your verse. Psalm 127, verse 2. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you will starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. If you don't, fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear are inevitable. It's going to happen. As a church, come March of 2020, the world changed for us. And it required that we stop and go, wait a minute, we can, we can push harder to try to do what we've been doing, or we can 
find a better way to do what we're doing. Here, the mission is the same. It is giving life by giving Christ. That's who we are. It is belong, commit, grow, serve. That's who we are as a church family. That's what we're committed to helping do. It's going to all the world, make disciples of everybody everywhere, baptize them and teach them. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what God called us to do. But to keep doing it the way we were doing it would have been discouraging at best. We've gone from, in all four locations, we've gone from 1,800 in live services on a given weekend to less than 800 here in Princeton from 1,000 to a couple hundred. And so if we were just focused on what we were doing, then we'd be really discouraged. But we understood a principle that Nehemiah taught many, many years ago, and that is you have to redistribute the workload. You have to rethink how you do things. And so we established James Martin, who was our student ministries pastor. He became our, our online campus pastor. Pastor Jenny and Bridge Kids and that team began to shift gears because they couldn't do Bridge Kids Live, so they started creating videos, both for our Sunday morning services as well as the pre-30 minutes before service. If you haven't been doing that, I hope you will with your kids. Student ministries went to Zoom and outdoor kinds of services. Bridge group went to Zoom. We're rethinking. Our staff started doing devotionals every night on Facebook Live. If you haven't done that, go to the Bridge Princeton Monday through Friday at 7 o'clock. We do video. We do uh, live devotions, our staff, every, every night. Take advantage of that. What are we doing? We're redistributing the workload in order to continue to be who God called us to be. You're rethinking how you do things. And so that's what you have to do in your own life when you find yourself in the doorway of one of these things that's ultimately bringing discouragement. The second thing he did is he didn't just redistribute the workload. He reorganized how they did it. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at exposed places, posting them by families. Why? Because when we're discouraged, the first thing we're tempted to do is pull away. Oh, it's just too hard. I'm going to pull away. When in fact, what we need is support. We need each other. You know, there's 57 times in the New Testament that God gives us a command that you cannot obey alone. It's not possible. He says, love one another, encourage one another, lift one another up, care for one another, greet one another. Over and over, 57 times, there are commands from God. They're not suggestions, they're commands. Here's how you act as a Christian. Here's the things you do as a Christian, and you cannot do them alone. So if you're determined to be a Lone Ranger Christian, you're going to get discouraged. I read a study some time ago that stuck with me, and it's a study from, from survivors, people who had been adrift at sea, who were stranded in a snowstorm, who were hostages in a hostage situation, and they interviewed so many of them, and, they, and one of the questions they asked them in those interviews is, what was the number one motivator for you to get through the ordeal? And every one of them said the same thing. They phrased it different ways, different words, but every one of them said the same thing. They said, what got me through it was the fact that there are people back home. I wanted to see my wife. I wanted to see my kids. I wanted to see my kids grow up. My wife was home praying. My mama was praying. There are people back home got them through those tragedies. 
So hear me, guys. Discouragement is an inevitable part of the human experience. When you find yourself going through those doorways and it begins to overwhelm you, the first thing you've got to do is challenge the idea that you're doing the wrong thing. Recognize you may very well be doing the right thing. You're just doing it in the wrong way. You've got to reorganize and reorient. So as a church, again, we begin to focus on how can we be effective both in person and online. We already had an online presence. Uh, 40, 450 people, 400, 450 people watching our online services every week, weekend in different parts of the country. And, and some of you that were, you're out of town on the weekend, it's a chance for you to do services. So that was available. But after we made this shift, we began to realize that more and more people are watching online than actually coming to the room. In many cases, for very valid reasons, not here to beat anybody up who didn't come in person for your reasons. But, um, but we've gone from, I said, 1,800 on a good Sunday to 6,000 on a good Sunday. There were 38,000 people watched our Mother's Day service. So God has expanded the ministry of this church and the influence of this church way beyond what we were doing before. We probably never would have made that shift were it not for this potentially discouraging thing that happened. So you see, you begin to recognize that there are different ways to do what it is that you're doing. Are we going to neglect our in-person? No, our bridge kids are working already to figure out how can we have bridge kids safely and when can we start bridge kids back in a safe kind of environment. Pastor Jenny and her team are working hard on that. Pastor Luke and our student ministries are working hard to figure out how can we, how, how can we have in-person services in a safe kind of way. But in the process, we're reorganizing to make sure that we're able to do ministry effectively. Same mission, giving life by giving Christ but doing it in this new normal that we find ourselves in. When you find yourself discouraged, find a better way. Got it? Second cure is focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. That seems so obvious, but it can be quite a challenge. Look at verse 14. Don't be afraid of them, Nehemiah said. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't just reorganize, recommit your life spiritually. Tap into the spiritual resources that are available to you. Focus on goods, God's goodness in the past. Sit down, get out a journal, and start writing the good things that God has done in your life. Start reminding yourself of the things that God has done in amazing kinds of ways. And you're like, keep the journal. Review it from time to time. Count your blessings. Name them ton by ton. Isn't that how the little song went? But don't just focus on the past. Focus on God's closeness in the present. He said, lo, I am with you always. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, God is still superintending. He's still working everything into a pattern for good. So open your spiritual eyes and see what he's doing. And then most importantly, perhaps, focus on God's power in the future. Over and over and over again, the Bible says, I will be your strength. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That, that word wait in that famous passage is the Hebrew word kava that literally means to look forward, look forward patiently and expectantly. It carries both of those ideas of being patient and yet expectant for them. Strength isn't, was available and abundant and it was coming. They patiently, expectedly waited for it to 
come. So when you find yourself discouraged, get your eyes off of the problem long enough to get your eyes on God. One of my favorite passages from the Jonah uh, message in this faith, Felt Book Faith series was when he found himself in the belly of the fish. The Bible says, when I lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. Find a better way. Focus on the Lord. And then finally, fight the urge to quit. Fight the urge to quit. Verse 14 Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters. Fight uh, for your wives and your, your homes. Don't lay down. Don't play dead. We win. I've read the last chapter of the book. You read it? We win. All things is coming together under the headship of Jesus Christ. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. No matter what MSNBC says, the, we're coming to a point where Jesus Christ is going to rule all. Yes. I think we're getting closer and closer and closer. But if you forget that, the, the urge to quit and the sweet relief that will come from it becomes profound. And it's no wonder. Hollywood glamorizes quitting. Yeah, you've seen those scenes in movies and TV shows. Somebody gets discouraged on their job and, and, and the employee walks into the office and says to the, to the boss, you can have this job. I don't want this job. And turns around and walks out and everybody in the office starts clapping because you finally had the courage to quit when they didn't. You know, Hollywood loves that kind of stuff. Or, or in the marriage where, where the tensions are high and the wife says, Johnny, get the suitcase because we're leaving. We're out of here. We're not doing this anymore. The problem is Hollywood doesn't show show the other side of the story. Yeah, there's a sweet relief that comes in the moment that you quit. Whew, that pressure's off, isn't it? But now the employee's unemployed. And Johnny's going to grow up without a father figure. So when you find yourself thinking about that sweet moment and coming up with a dramatic way to storm out, let the truth of God's Word pierce Tinseltown. James 1.12, blessed is the man who, what does it say? Perseveres under trial. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised. The real glamour is not in those who quit. It's in those who come to quitting points. Recognize that they look like concrete, but in fact they are tissue paper. And when you break through to the other side, you see God. Next Sunday morning, we're starting a series we're calling Third Person, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend the rest of our summer looking at the power that is available to us for living out this Christian experience. I hope you'll plan either online or in person to be with us for that series. It's going to be a huge series for all of us, but I got to close. I got to ask first, though, is what are you about to cash in on? What are you about to quit? Some of you are here today in person or online simply because God wanted you to hear this white-haired preacher say, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't let discouragement overwhelm you. Don't quit. The sweet relief in that moment of quitting has a long-term cost that you don't want to pay. There's a high cost to quitting a job, a marriage, 
getting your finances in order, whatever it is, there's a big price to pay. Well, Jim, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. I, I don't know, I don't. But I know God's word. That's why I like to paraphrase James 1.12 this way. Blessed are those who come to quitting points. And instead of quitting, they find a better way. They focus their attention on God and they fight the urge to quit. Nehemiah said, we have a mission from God. It's to rebuild these defensive walls. In time, we'll build the spiritual life of this city as well. But right now we're gonna build these defensive walls. And yes, halfway through, they lost heart. They got discouraged. They got tired. They got frustrated. They got uh, uh, scared. Man, I just can't do this. But Nehemiah understood that when you come to those points in life, you may not be doing the wrong thing. You may be doing the right thing, just do it in the wrong way. So find a better way. Focus on the Lord who is mighty and powerful. Resist the urge to quit. The result was Nehemiah 6, verse 15, 16, and the wall was completed in 52 days. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence, self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. You want to defeat the enemy, the best way to do it is don't let discouragement define your choices in life. If you find yourself discouraged, find a better way, focus on the Lord, resist the urge to quit and watch him take you to the other side. One of the most amazing engineering feats in all of human history done in 52 days because they resisted discouragement. Would you pray that prayer with me now? Father, you know the details of our lives. You, you know what we're dealing with. Each one of us with different sets of circumstances, but all of us find ourselves standing in the doorway of one of these discouraging things discouragement makers. Sometimes we find ourselves just tired. We've put it all out there. We got nothing left, feels like. Or we find ourselves frustrated. Wow, man, this is harder than I thought. This is tougher than I thought. It's taking longer than I thought. We're frustrated. Sometimes we find ourselves with this sense of failure. Man, I, if I could have, I would have by now. Oftentimes, fear just overwhelms us. I can't do it. I'm out of here. And I pray that no matter what it is that's causing that for any one of us, remind us, Lord, that the solution is right there in your word. Refocus, find a better way to do it. Focus on the Lord who is mighty and powerful and resist the urge quit. You ready to pray that prayer, guys? Either right here in the room or online, join me in that prayer. I'm praying and I've been praying it all week as I've prepared to come and share this with you over the issues of my life that I get discouraged about sometimes. Lord, help me to recognize. Pray it in your own words if you want, guys. But here's my prayer. Lord, help me to recognize 
when I'm trying to handle this by myself and fatigue is setting in. Help me to understand when I'm paying more attention to the rubble than the progress because that's the door to discouragement. Help me, Lord, when a sense of failure overwhelms me. Man, if I, if I woulda, I coulda. If I coulda, I woulda by now. And when I find myself on the verge of quitting, remind me that the one who called will empower me to do what you called me to do. Forgive me for getting my eyes off of you. You praying, guys? Forgive me for getting my eyes off of you. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know every circumstance. I pray that courage in the name of Jesus Christ would rise up within us all to be who you called us to be and accomplish what you called us to accomplish in our personal lives, in our families, in our communities, in our church. In Jesus' name.